You're listening to a Sun Life podcast. We pray that you be blessed by the teaching of God's word. For more information, visit sunlife.org.au. Enjoy the sermon. Good morning, church. Morning. Who's excited to be in church this morning? Three people. Awesome. Okay, it's because it's the summer series, right? That's, that's why we actually want to be outside and going, going to the beach. But um, I've got the privilege to speak this morning, and uh, it is part of our summer series. And I wanted to talk, if we could pull the slides up, uh, I wanted to talk uh, this morning about going deeper in God. Who wants to go deeper in God? Who wants 23 to be the year that they go deeper in God? There's about four or five people who want to go deeper. So I'll speak to you this morning. We want to go deeper in God, and I know for me personally, uh, I want to go deeper. I want to, I want to experience everything that God has for me in my life, for my children, for my family, and I want to position myself that I can receive what God has for me. And um, why don't we pray, before we get into the Word, and, and, and I'm going to really use Psalm 91 as the basis of, of this message this morning, but before we read Psalm 91, why don't we just pray, Father... We thank you for your presence this morning. Uh, Use me to speak to your people. Let this be a message from your heart to their hearts, Lord God. As we study how to go deeper in you, um, that you you change our hearts, that we will embark on this journey through 23, to encounter you, to encounter your presence, to be filled with the Holy Spirit this year. And we ask this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. And we all said amen. Amen. All right. So I've, I've... I have preached this message over the years and it would form probably a three or four part series, but I am going to try and do it in about half an hour this morning. So uh, I'm going to go quick and I, and I do hope you, you take something away from this. But Psalm 91 is a beautiful psalm and I assume everyone's read Psalm 91. And let me just read it as our foundation uh, this morning. For those who live, or in some translations, this is New Living Translation, in some translations, like the King James, New King James, it would say, those who dwell, those who dwell in the shelter of the Most High will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. This I declare about the Lord. He alone is my refuge, my place of safety. He is my God, and I trust him. For he will rescue you from every trap and protect you from deadly disease. He will cover you with his feathers. He will shelter you with his wings. His faithful promise, promises are your armour and protection. And I don't know about you, but that's a, I love that psalm because it says that we can come into the presence of God and all those beautiful promises will be ours. And I wanted to talk this morning about how we get into that presence, how we get into that space where we can receive those promises of God. Who knows that in the time of Abraham, God lived out there. God was far removed from the people. But who does know that God's whole plan from the beginning of time was to dwell amongst his people? He desires it more than we even know. He wants to not only dwell amongst his people, he wants to dwell in his people. Who knows that this morning? So that's his heart. And Abraham was the first person God called to have a relationship. And he was far removed. So Abraham had to work out how to interact with God. But God has given us a pattern and a plan in the Bible on how we can come into the presence of God boldly and receive these blessings from him. 
You know, Abraham was an idol worshipper. So Abraham had to do a quantum leap forward to have a relationship with God. Which is phenomenal. And that is the faith of Abraham. And that's what Romans talks about, is Abraham's faith. He went from zero knowledge to a great amount of knowledge because there was this God in the sky that was communicating with him. And, and this is the pattern I want to talk to you about today, that we will work out a pattern and a plan on how to enter into the presence of God. I wanted to just lay a foundation, if I could, through John chapter 1, verse 14. Uh, and we all know this scripture. This is a beautiful scripture. And the word became flesh and dwelt. There's that word again, dwelt. God wants to live with us. The word became flesh. Jesus became flesh and dwelt amongst us. And we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. That word dwelt in the Greek is the word to dwell as in a tent, to encamp or to tabernacle. And you know, in the Bible, there's only three places or three dwelling places that God has ever lived. He's lived in the wilderness tab tabernacle in the time of Moses, and we've all read that in Exodus. He's lived, as in this scripture, in Jesus. And who can think of the third place that God lives? In us. We are tabernacles. We are temples of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 6.19, 2 Corinthians 6.16 talks about that we are temples or we are tabernacles of the Holy Spirit. Three places that God dwells. In the wilderness tabernacle, in Jesus and in us. And that's quite profound because that takes God from the days of Abraham being far off to being very personal, very close, very near us. And that, like I said, is the very heart of God. Um, God dedicated 15 chapters in the book of Exodus to the tabernacle. So from chapter 25 to chapter 40 of Exodus, it is specifically talking about how Moses was to go about setting up the tabernacle, building the tabernacle, the colours, the, 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 the furniture, the instruments. So it's very detailed. And, and when God dedicates 15 chapters to a particular topic, it means that there's some importance in it. And it means that we as uh, uh, students of the Bible should take note of what God's trying to talk to us about. And I believe that the tabernacle is a pattern for revival, a pattern for both corporate revival, which we want to see revival in this church. We want to encounter the living God. And we also want to have a personal revi revival in our private times, at homes, in our, in our households, in our families. And I believe that if we study the, the pattern of the tabernacle, we can enter into that revival with God. What, what does revival mean? Do, do people understand when I say revival what that means? That means simply that God wants to uh, interrupt your daily life. God wants to, through the Holy Spirit, interrupt what you're doing in your normal course of life. So I know that if I have revival, like the other day, uh, we, I think we, we watched something and we were praying, and, and uh, the following day I had just this presence of God on me. And I know that was God wanting to, and I could just feel it. I could just feel the Holy Spirit. I had a day where I was just felt really close to him. And I think that is what God wants for all of us. He wants us to encounter that, not just ad hoc, but every day to have that close personal uh, encounter uh, with him. So let's see what God says in Exodus. And if you can pull up Exodus 25. Um, and, and in Exodus 25, it says, And let 
them make me a sanctuary that I might dwell. Dwell here, dwell here, here's that word, dwell again. And God is saying, make me a sanctuary, make me a place that I can dwell with my people. And the, dwell, the word dwell here is from the Hebrew word, uh, verb, which is where we derive the word Shekinah. Has anyone heard that word Shekinah? Shekinah is the manifested presence of God. And that is the presence of God that was in the most holy place in the tabernacle. Um, and uh, it, it, uh, it designates the radiance, the glory, the presence of God dwelling amongst his people. And, um, you know, in Hebrews chapter, chapter 8, and we'll go into the next slide, it says, "...who serves the copy and the shadow of the heavenly things, as Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle. For he said, see that you make all things according to the pattern shown to you on the mountain." What does that mean? That means that Moses went up on the mountain and saw what was in heaven and Because he saw what was in heaven, he received a blueprint or a a set of plans. If we were building a a house, we would need a set of plans, right? So Moses went up on the mountain and got that set of plans on how to build a tabernacle, to bring it to earth, to allow the children of God to build a tabernacle in which the Shekinah glory or the presence of God could dwell. That very heart of God wanting to dwell amongst his people. Is Is this resounding with anyone this morning? So, you know, I believe every minute detail in the, in the Bible is for our benefit, right? Um, and it points, and it, uh, um, when, you, it, when you work through this pattern, I believe it will make it very much easier to encounter God's presence. So there's, there's a few points I wanted to raise. If we go through God's pattern in the tabernacle, uh, we will see that there are uh, a number of pieces of furniture that God put in the tabernacle. Um, how many pieces of furniture did God put in the tabernacle? He put seven pieces of furniture. Who knows that seven is a significant number to God? Everything in creation happens in, the num- in, in, in multiples of seven. Um, God's very number, Christ's number, is seven. Seven days of creation, seven colours in the rainbow, and we can go on and on. That There were seven pieces of furniture in the tabernacle. Which direction did the tabernacle always need to face? It always needed to face east. Why was that? Because when the children of Israel would walk into the tabernacle, they had to turn their backs on the gods of the east, the pagan gods that Abraham was worshipping. How many of us, when we come into the presence of God, need to lay, turn our backs towards the gods that we have worshipped in the past? Whether they're organised religions or whether they're the gods of money or work or other relationships. We need to turn our backs on the things that we have held value in so that we can enter into the presence of God. That's the pattern God was showing them. How, many, how long did it take for Moses to build that tabernacle? It took nine months, 40 weeks for Moses to build that tabernacle. And that, you can see that in Exodus 19, Exodus 40. Can anyone else think of what takes nine months to form a dwelling place in which God wants to live? Or 40 weeks. The women in the, in, in the house would know. Us, we take nine months, 40 weeks, to be created in the womb. A, a, a pattern of God's desire, God's heart, to dwell with these people. 
And you know, God gave the children, or God gave Moses and the children of Israel a very specific way to encamp around the, the tabernacle. And, he, and the tribes that came out of Egypt, uh, they were varying in numbers. And if we pull up the next slide, you could see that because of numbers too and the very specific detail that God gave, again, it points to Jesus. Can anyone see any pattern in that design? Can anyone see a cross? No one can see a cross. So that, to me, that looks like a cross. Which is amazing. Isn't that amazing? That in God's design, he, he had the children of Israel camp around the presence of God in the shape of a cross, pointing towards who he would send 15, in 1,500 years' time, pointing towards the work of Jesus. If you go to the next slide, you will also see, if you were, if you were Moses up on the mountain with Aaron looking back over the camp of Israel, you would see a very, very clear cross. And there's a whole study in that design and there's a whole study in the flags and the banners that the children of Israel would have and who would be closest and who would be furthest. It's, it's uh, quite interesting. But what I find amazing is that the, the, the sacrifice of Jesus was key and was uh, uh, to our redemption and that was part of God's plan from the very beginning of time. Even if you go to the next slide, it shows the tabernacle, an aerial view of the tabernacle, but even the furniture was placed inside the tabernacle in the shape of a cross. I don't know about you, but that blows me away, that God cares so much about us to show us these things in advance, to show us that he will send his son one day to redeem mankind, that we can have that intimate relationship with him. Um, and if you go to the next slide, if you go to the next slide, um, this is what it would have looked like uh, uh, in the wilderness. The tabernacle would have looked like. You've got various compartments, and we'll go very quickly through them this morning. But I really just want to teach you this tabernacle in three basic words. Um, uh, if you can pull up the next slide. The levels of intimacy that we would experience as we were working through this tabernacle um, would be, one, the outer court existing, the holy place surviving, and the most holy place, thriving. Who wants to thrive in their relationship with God? Who's happy just to exist? Who's, who wants to just survive, just get by? And who wants to thrive? And God has clearly given us, um, uh, shown us how we can do this. Existing means purely a place of just barely enough. You just have enough to get through. Surviving is a place of just enough and thriving is a place of more than enough. So existing, a place of barely enough, surviving, a place of just enough and thriving, a place of more than enough, of overflowing. And that's, that's what God wants us. Our cup runs over. Who remembers that Psalm, Psalm 23? And um, this is what all of us should be desiring. So let's go into existing. So existing, um, these were the, this was the furniture that you would encounter in the outer court. Uh, these are all made of brass, and these are the first pieces of, of furniture that you, if you were to come in, uh, you, you would find. Jesus, who remember Jesus called himself the way, the truth, and the life in John 14? The three gates into the tabernacle were called the way, the truth, and the life. 
So again, Jesus was pointing back to this tabernacle, the wilderness tabernacle, Jesus and us, three tabernacles in the Bible. But you would come to the brazen altar, which would be the place of sacrifice. It was, would be where the, Levit, the, the, the priests would take a lamb and sacrifice the lamb. And who knows that Jesus has, is our Passover lamb, that we come to that altar in our Christian walk and the first thing we do is give our hearts to God. We say, Jesus, we are sinners. We, know, we believe that you have paid the price for us. Your blood is sufficient and we, we declare your blood on the altar for ourselves, for the redemption of our sins. So that's the first piece of furniture you would come to. The second piece of furniture you would come to would be called the brazen altar. Now that was a big trough filled with water made of bronze and they would polish the inside of, of the laver. Of the, um, of the trough and it would form like a mirror and as the Levites would come and they would do the sacrifice and then they would come and wash in that um, and who knows, that is symbolic of our baptism. The second thing you do as part of your Christian walk is to make a public declaration through baptism and the Levites would wash in that but also they would, as they were washing their hands, they would look at their reflection and they would see, because that would be like a mirror. And who knows that the Word of God is called a mirror. That as we study the Word of God, as we journey in faith towards God, that the things that seemed right once upon a time no longer seem right. That, that, that the Christian walk calls us to change our behaviour. We can't stay the same. If we were staying the same as we were, once we know of the, of the sacrificial work of Jesus Christ... We have to question whether we're really saved at all. But it calls for us to change our behaviour. And the outer court would have been a place of much noise. There, you know, the, the Gentiles would have been allowed to come in. There would have been people buzzing around. There would have been animals and sheeps and doves, all part of the sacrifice. And it would be a very hard place to encounter the presence of God because there's so much distraction. But... You know, a common trap that Christians fall into is that they come to the altar, they recognise Jesus' sacrifice, they go to the laver and they see the things that are wrong in their life but they don't correct it. So what they do is after some time they go, Lord, I need you, I've made a mistake and then they go back to the altar, they start again. And there are many, many, many good good meaning Christians that get caught in that cycle of sacrifice, uh, seeing what they've done wrong, and then they start again. And that is not God's best. The furniture here was made of bronze because there's no glory in that. It's noisy, it's smelly, it's loud, and, you, and, and a lot of Christians get caught in that trap. And that's not where God wants us to stay. He wants us to enter in beyond the first veil. Because there is glory, that the furniture beyond that first veil is made of gold rather than bronze like the outer court. So if we come through um, into, the, into, the, uh, most holy into the holy place, and if you go to the next slide, that shows what um, the, the second chamber or the second place would look like. And uh, they had, there were three pieces of furniture in there. And um, we come, the first piece of furniture that that we'll look at, if you go to the next slide, is the, the, the lampstand. 
And the lampstand was a very important piece of furniture. It was one piece of, it was, it was, it was uh, made from one piece of hammered gold. So there were no breaks or seams or joins in, in the lampstand. Uh, it was fueled by oil and it had these beautiful ornamentations on the, on the face of it. It had 66 ornamentations on the face. We have the Bible, the Word of God, that has 66 books written by 40 authors over 1,500 years. It is one piece of work integrated from Genesis to Revelation, fueled by the power of the Holy Spirit, fueled by the oil of the Holy Spirit. And who knows that this would be the only piece of furniture that would um, produce light in the tabernacle. So it's the only uh, light by which the, the priests could minister in the tabernacle. So the lampstand represents the Word of God. You know, when I was in Israel a few years back, they, they have recreated the lampstand and um, the Israelites, because they're preparing for the third temple, and, uh, you know, they couldn't, get, they couldn't get the arms to stand up. They could not work out the engineering to get the arms to stand up out of gold, which is a soft metal, and, which I find amazing because 3,500 years ago, God's design, God showed them how to do it. The Israelites had to, or the Israelis had to fly engineers in from Boeing to help them design the lampstand that they've got currently on display under two-inch thick uh, bulletproof glass in Israel. And it's it's quite interesting that God's design and uh, specifications were so were so good that they were able to produce it uh, in ancient days. But um, the the lampstand would require daily tending. It will require priests to tend to it every day. We are priests. We are called. Remember, we're a peculiar people. We're priests of God. We've got to tend to our Bibles, tend to the Word of God daily. That's the pattern that God is showing us. We need to go to the Word and and make sure that we're stoking that fire. Make sure that the, the Word of God is burning brightly in our hearts, that every day we can use that in our daily ministry when we encounter people because the word is so rich in us. And that's the pattern that God was showing the children of Israel. Um, the second piece of furniture is the, um, is, the, uh, is the table of showbread, which is where they would have wine and they would have bread on that table and the priest would change that bread once a week. That represents... No, if you go back, uh, that represents... Um, if you go back to the, so the table of showbread represents communion. The communion that we share as a as a as a as believers of Christ, that we share once a month, once a fortnight, or even daily in our house, like the early, in our in our homes, like the early church used to break bread, go from house to house, breaking bread daily. And then the third piece of furniture would be the altar of incense, which is a very important. Uh, piece of uh, furniture because it's where they would burn incense and who knows that our incense our worship goes up like incense before the Lord as we come here as we sung songs this morning that would be like incense a sweet smelling aroma before the Lord our prayers and our praises before the Lord and this is a picture of the church we've got the word of God we've got communion and we've got praise and worship if you enter into this second chamber, then it's like entering into, entering into the church environment. 
But if you're just relying on coming to church on a Sunday to carry you over in your walk with Christ, you're just going to be surviving. It's not the final place where God wants you to stop. What I love about the altar of incense, this third piece of furniture here, is, you know, it was the only piece of furniture that had two rings on the side. And these, this furniture was to be carried on the shoulders of the Levites as they moved from camp to camp, if you remember, in the book of Exodus. And why it only had two rings as opposed to four rings, which the other uh, pieces of furniture had, was because as they were going down the hills on their journey or going up the hills on their journey, the, the altar would remain level because the rings would help it pivot. And who knows that in our walk, in our Christian walk, when we're going through the valley or whether we're on a high, on the mountain high, our praise is to remain constant. That in those dark times, guess what? Our only hope is praising God. That even in the times when things are going good, we often forget, we often don't need God, but our praise is to remain constant. And I love that picture that God's put in there, that whether things are good or whether things are bad, we need to consistently praise God. The, the praise of God needs to be in our mouth and it needs to be level. But like I said, if we just wait and, and remain in this church era, uh, wanting God's, want to encounter God in a, in a deeper way, we're going we're gonna to experience some trouble because it's not really... You can survive, you can get by, but you won't thrive. It's not really where God wants you to stop. Who can see that? Who can start to see the pattern of existing, surviving... And now thriving. So we will go into the third chamber, which is called the most holy place. Uh, or the holiest of holies. Who's heard, who's heard that phrase? In Hebrew, the Holy Spirit is the Ruha HaKodesh. And this place is called the... Um, uh, and, it's, and, it's to, and it's to say that the Holy Spirit comes from the, uh, from the most holy place. Who wants to encounter the Holy Spirit? So it means going into, the, into that third chamber, into that most holy place, into that secret place. And, you know, when you would go through, and if you um, go to the next slide, um, and go to the next slide, uh, so you go into the most holy place, you encounter two pieces of furniture. You encounter the mercy seat and the ark of the tabernacle. So the mercy seat was where the high priest once a year would come with the blood of the lamb and would sprinkle it upon the mercy seat. And in the Ark of the Tabernacle, there would be the manna that was in the desert, Aaron's rod that had budded, that they, they represent the rebellion of mankind. And there would be the tabernacle and there would be the two tablets of the law. What does that symbolize? That means that you and I, we're sinners, that we are lawbreakers and that we rebel against God. But God in his mercy has put a mercy seat that we can sprinkle the blood of Jesus so that when God sees us, he sees us through the blood. Isn't that amazing? That when he sees our sins, he, holds us, he does not hold us accountable because he's looking at us through the blood of Jesus. And this is where he wants. So the presence of God would dwell above the mercy seat. This is that Shekinah glory that I was talking about. And we see in Psalm 91, it says there, he who dwells in the secret place, this is what it's talking about, the secret place of the Most High. Who wants to dwell there? 
And, you know, I brought this prop here because this is a, pra a prayer shawl. This is what the, the Jews would wear in their daily life. And this would be, to them, a personal tabernacle, a portable tabernacle. So they would wear it around their shoulders. And then when they would come to pray, they would lift this over their heads and they would be in their own private tabernacle. So they could encounter God face to face. And I wanted to use the prop because imagine, and this is what I do in my own prayer life, is that I imagine that the, the ark of God is there, that the mercy seat of God is there, and that I come because I want to dwell under the shadow of the Almighty. I want to dwell where his shadow from the, uh, reflects from the, the glory of God, the very presence of God. So if his Shekinah glory is above the mercy seat, then it's going to cast a shadow through the wings of the angels, the wings of the cherubim that are there. And once we dwell, once we find, once we creep under, under that shadow, then these things become ours. In Psalm 91, and I'll conclude with this, but those who live in the shelter of the Most High, remember that's our dwelling place, that's where we want to live, will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. Who wants to find rest in God? We'll find rest there because we are dwelling, we are permanently living in that place. This I declare about the Lord. He alone is my refuge. He becomes my refuge. That I know that if I'm in strife, if I'm in trouble, that I can run to that place and I can cry out to God and say, Lord, become my refuge. Become, become my help. My place of safety. You know, he is my God. I trust in him. For he will rescue you. I know that if, I'm, if I need him, if I'm in trouble, if I find that I'm in trouble in my daily life, that if I'm dwelling in that secret place under the shadow of the Almighty, that he will be my rescuer and protect me from deadly diseases. We needed that over the last two years. But, you know, I used to declare over my house, no plague shall come near my dwelling. And he will, be, he will, he will protect us from deadly diseases. He will cover you with his feathers. Remember those feathers from the, from the mercy seat and will shelter you in his wings. His faithful promises are your armour and your protection. And I don't know about you, but I love that. That's thriving in the presence. Once we have those promises of God, if we dwell in that secret place, not just existing, not in the outer court, not through that cycle of repentance and, and recognition of what we've done, not just surviving by coming to church on a Sunday, but abiding in the presence, going into that second, uh, behind that second veil. Who remembers that the veil was torn? When Jesus was crucified, that veil was torn in two. That veil was about two or three inches thick and it was torn from top to bottom. That God has made a way through the blood of Jesus for us to come in. He wants us to be there. He wants to provide these benefits from his very presence, to encounter him face to face, to have a, a, a true living relationship with him. Why don't we stand to our feet this morning as we conclude? Why don't we pray? Father, we thank you. We thank you for your pattern shown in the tabernacle. We thank you that we want to encounter you more and more each day. 
that we want a true living relationship with you, Lord God. Help us not just to exist, Lord. Help us not just to survive, but help us to thrive in you. That the blessings, your blessings may come upon each and every one of those people here. Your people. And we thank you for your love, your kindness and your mercy, Lord God. And we ask this in Jesus' name.